Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It is our final podcast of the week. Believe in Blazers on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Brian Wheeler, your congenial host, and we are joined by one of the top flight guests that we could possibly acquire in the greater Portland area as we scour the ranks for some of the best. And he certainly has seen a lot of Portland sports, experienced a lot of Portland sports, and has a vast knowledge of Portland sports. That's why we wanted to have him on today to talk Blazers and many other things as well. I'm talking, of course, of the Godfather, Dwight James. DJ, how are you, sir? I'm good, Brian. It's really fun to be with you. And I don't get as much opportunity to see or talk to you anymore. So this is great. I agree. Very, uh, very, very nice to be able to at least to talk in this forum. Our Believe in Blazers podcast is brought to you in part by Bet Online. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Bet Online, as you covered for all the news, scores, and odds, is the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today. You can receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's Bet Online, your online sports book experts. All right, sir. We uh, said said the moniker right up front. And for those who don't know the story, how did you first get addressed as the Godfather? Well, I used to make appearances long ago on the morning show that Gavin Dawson hosted, along with Chad Doing. And and for some reason, Gavin came up with that. He was a great nickname guy. You know how some guys they just have those nicknames on the tip of their tongue all the time. Yeah. He came up with that, and. And uh, I was kind of lukewarm to it. I didn't really, uh, you know, I thought it might be a little much. But uh, my brother called me up one day and he said, hey, hey, you know, that whole Godfather thing. And I said, yeah, I know, I know, I know. He goes, hey, it's working. Everywhere I go, people say, hey, how's the Godfather doing? What's up with the Godfather? <laughs> and it's like, what, really? And, and he says, yeah, it's serious. It might be good branding for you. So I thought, yeah, branding, I guess, is a big deal now. I'll just go with that. I'll go with it for a while. I can always try and shut it down later if it doesn't work. And and it's just kind of worked out for me and people know that. And of course, Chad has always made a big deal. I'm working with him now at 620 and, and he's always, you know, Godfather, (laughs) you know, he's always doing that to me. And now people are yelling that at me when I'm at a game or something. So it's worked out good and, and it's, it's fine. I, I don't have a problem with it. And I guess a lot of people would probably by now change it to grandfather, but I'll stick with Godfather. No, Godfather is perfect. Uh, I, I think uh, we need a line of merchandise. I think that's, that's the, that's the only thing that's missing. Uh, I think that would, there's so many different ways you could go with a nickname like the Godfather. So I think we gotta, we gotta get some creative force uh, behind some t-shirts, hats, uh, you know, whatever it might be, a hat certainly. Because now you were sporting hats for a while on uh, on the air, and and I thought we're we're going through a wide array of different uh, uh, different things that uh, you were you were putting on your head for uh, for the various TV TV appearances. And so I think a Godfather line of, of hats would be perfect. So so we gotta get some some marketing people on this. I think. Yeah, you just have to be careful because somebody told me I don't know if it's true or not, but somebody told me there was once a movie call the godfather <laughs> and so it's also my understanding that they're very aggressive about protecting that so uh, i have to be aggressive in in the way i would market it but yeah you really have uh, to be careful i, I did about enjoy that. wearing those hats and and to, to be honest with you brian those hats were to protect i i had a, a skin cancer uh removed from uh top of my head and i just wanted to hide that and uh, um, I like doing it, and it actually became a thing, and a lot of people were excited about it. But 
at some point, uh, people that I work for said, oh, okay, enough of the hats. So well, you know, enough of the hats. being around as long as you have, I mean, you kind of have to reinvent yourself every now and then. So from that standpoint, you know, adding a little bit here, pulling back a little bit there. I mean, it's a, you know, keeping people guessing is never, is never a bad thing. So I, I thought it was a very good look and I think it's always something you can bring back at, uh, at, at appropriate times too. And if you decide you want to do it in the future. Yeah. You know, I, I thought so too, Brian, it's funny you say that too, because when I first became a columnist at the Oregonian, uh, one of the best pieces of advice I got was from the late Wayne Thompson, who used to be the sports editor at the Oregonian, moved on to the news side. And, and he told me once, never, never let him pin you down. You know, don't be afraid to just come up with some stance on something that people didn't expect out of you. It keeps everything alive and it's kind of it's refreshing when you do that. So don't become too predictable. And, and I've always tried to uh, I've tried to kind of adhere to that as long as it fits what I believe, because I'm not going to put something out that I that I can't back up and that I don't believe. I've never done that. It's like, oh, this will create controversy. I'll take this side of the argument. That's not something I've ever really been into. Well, you mentioned newspaper work uh, and obviously people uh, catch you uh, uh, online, still doing some great uh, writing uh, on NBC Sports Northwest, but uh, also catch you on uh, TV. You've done plenty of radio, so people catch you in all different kinds of forums. Uh, you have your own podcast, you have your own Twitter site. Uh, so you, your career has really branched out in a lot of different ways. And uh, I'll ask you about that uh, in a moment. But I, I wonder if you go back, do you remember the first sporting event that you actually got paid to cover? Well, yeah, I was a, a lowly clerk at the Oregon Journal, the now defunct newspaper that was an afternoon paper. And in those days, it was a great place to work. We had George Passero, the late great George Passero was the sports editor. And, and when the main guys, the real reporters went on vacation in the summer, they didn't hire replacements. They just let the interns and the clerks and the summer replacements go out and cover things. Now, as you might expect, we weren't out there covering anything of great importance, but the first thing they ever asked me to go cover was something that I think in those days it was called the Rosebud Bowl. It was a, it was a football game played between the all-stars of the local Pop Warner League against the stars from the CYO League, and they played it every summer, and it was really the best, like, eighth-grade football players in the city. It was always a pretty good game. They don't hold it anymore, but uh, it, it was a fun thing for me to go cover. And uh, the star of the game, as it turned out, was the son of the great um, University of Oregon quarterback, George Shaw. Uh, his son went on to be an outstanding athlete at Grant High, same place that George played. And so I wrote about him. And so since I had a little better background on sports in Oregon than some of the other uh, younger guys had, uh, I think I did a pretty good story and it earned me another chance to go out and do a story. The second one I ever did, I was very proud of. It was a story about Kim Payton, the great swimmer who was uh, an Olympian uh, from the Mullum Athletic Club and a Pan American Games participant. She's also now deceased, but a great person. And I still remember Kim very fondly, but it was really, I think I was like one of the first local people to write about her. She was in just some sort of a regional swimming thing. And uh, she did very well. And so I wrote about her. And many years later, uh, we were still friends and still spoke. And uh, I had a real soft spot in my heart for her. A uh, great person who died too young, but uh, Kim Payton was my second story. So writing, uh, radio, and in these days, as we said, a lot of television work, uh, 
you like the variety that these various roles have provided for you? I do, Brian. I, I, I really liked it when I could step away from the writing side and do radio and TV. Uh, TV is fun, but it comes with a lot of technical issues that can test your patience. You've done enough of it to know, uh, you know, there's always something that's, you've, you know, you have to redo this or do that. Something doesn't work and there's a big crew and a lot of things can kind of go wrong. But radio, I, I, the moment I sat down in a regular radio show, I loved it. I, I just thought it was great. And the, the bond you create with people on the radio is unlike any other medium that I've ever found. Because uh, you're talking to them when they're getting out of the shower, or when they're going to bed at night, or, or when they're just in their car driving somewhere, and they kind of feel like they know you. And, and uh, I think that bond is a great one. And I still talk to people who listen to me first on the radio before they knew anything about my writing. Well, over the last year or so, as we know, uh, covering sports has changed with the demands of the uh, pandemic. Uh, what have been the specific challenges that you've had to work through? You know, Brian, this has been the toughest season. I've been covering this team since the early 80s. This, this is the worst season, the toughest season I've ever had. We, we aren't in the locker rooms. We have no person-to-person contact with any of the players. We do Zoom interviews, and that's it. Uh, and we don't get a choice, really, of who we want to speak to for the most part. Um, and so it's just difficult. You don't get an opportunity for people to know who you are as a person, and you don't get to know them as a person either. So it's, it's really been difficult, I think. And even at the games, you know, you used to go down and, you, you know, we saw each other all the time, Wills. You're sitting around the court while players are doing their early warm-up before the fans are in or anything else. And, and somebody will sit down and you'll talk or you'll just – pass by someone and exchange some banter. It was always a time I could ask Damian Lillard about the big pay-per-view boxing match coming up, who he liked, you know, that kind of thing. And that's all gone now. And, and it's become more impersonal, more distant, and, and just not the kind of thing. And, of course, we haven't traveled either, which takes away uh, some of the stress and some of the fun of having this beat. So it's been a rough year. When the time comes, and we hope it's soon, that we're not talking about the virus pretty much every day, do you see that covering sports will go back entirely to the way things used to be, or are there some changes that we've experienced that you think could become permanent? <laughs> well, I think you're on to something there, Wheels. I, I, I'm afraid that we may not get the kind of access that we used to get. It worries me that maybe some of these leagues are going to think, hey, this Zoom thing's working out pretty well. And, you know, uh, we have a lot more control over the media than we had before. We're just going to keep them out of the locker room and they're not going to get to go in there anymore. Uh, I, I have a feeling we might be headed toward that, but I don't know. You know, it's all up in the air now. I hope not. I think the public will pay the price for that. If we don't get to know their players uh, better than we know them now, we won't be able to uh, transfer that information to the public and let the public, let the fans get to know these players better. Now it's usually assumed that more information is a good thing. Uh, do you think in general that social media has positively impacted the coverage of sports? <laughs> well, that's a big can of worms there. In some cases, yes. Uh, in other cases, no, there's such a, a, a knee jerk reaction when things happen. And a lot of things are said that, 
probably shouldn't have been said. There's a lot of stories put out that haven't been vetted properly. There's a lot of misinformation out there. And everybody's an expert now. I see that every day. I'll look through my Twitter feed and somebody will say, well, yeah, why? they should have just pulled the trigger on the, on the J- James Harden trade. Why didn't they just go ahead and get James Harden? Well, you know, it could be that maybe they didn't have what Houston wanted in return for James Harden. That could be it. Uh, you know, and, and you see this all the time. Why didn't they sign so-and-so? Why didn't they trade? This guy was a free agent. Why didn't Nolshay just go get him? Well, you know, it's not that easy. And, and enticing people to come here, we've learned over the last, de- you know, five decades that it's not easy. And uh, all these deals are not easy to pull off. So, but it, anybody can write now. And, and there's no... Uh, journalistic training being done on any level for anybody, really. And so uh, I think there's a lot of irresponsibility on the Internet. Let's talk about the Blazers for a bit. Uh, Just over a week left in the regular season. Uh, Still a lot to be decided about where they'll finish in the Western Conference standings. Are there any teams you think would be bad first-round playoff matchups for them? Well, given history, I don't think you want to face the Lakers in the first round. That would be one that I would say some sort of five, six matchup, or I mean, four five matchup. You wouldn't want any part of that. I don't think you want the Clippers necessarily. Uh, Utah has been difficult for them this year, as has Phoenix. If I had to pick Phoenix or Utah, I think Phoenix would be a better matchup for Portland simply because of Phoenix's lack of playoff experience. I think that does matter. You get a bunch of players who've never been in the playoffs and don't understand the sort of gravity involved and and the kind of pressure involved. You might catch them. Uh, I would worry about Utah. Honestly, Brian, Utah's the best team I've seen this year, I think. Now, whether they win it, I don't know. But they can do so much at both ends of the court. I love the way they play defense. And, man, they got a lot of guys who can make threes, and that's what the game's all about now. If they're a totally healthy squad, um, could the Blazers potentially be a dangerous playoff team? If they are totally healthy and playing at their best, they can. Now, my problem is I haven't figured them out. Usually by now, I have a pretty good idea of what to expect on a night-to-night basis. I can usually say, yeah, you know, they're going to win tonight or they're going to lose tonight. Right now, I would not bet on them to win a game. That said, I would not bet on them to lose a game. <laughs> I just don't know, you know. And, and but that's discouraging for me because I consider myself somebody who kind of understands basketball and understands the NBA game. But these guys are really tough to figure out. You never quite know what they're going to bring on a given night. I mean, you lose, you know, five home games in a row, and then you go on the road and win four road games in a row, and you have a five and one road trip. Uh, after the homestand they had where they, they played some bad basketball. I don't know how you rationalize that. I don't know how you can say, wow, we played great and we really got it going now without saying, Hey, why didn't we play this way before? What, what, what's going on here? What happened? And, and so I, I just don't know how to explain this season. It's been very difficult. Another beautiful day in the greater Portland area. Summer is fast approaching. And that means that uh, you're going to be wearing sunglasses more often. And uh, we've been telling you about some great sunglasses to experience. And if you've had some, uh, maybe some problems with sunglasses that you've had in the past, maybe they 
just uh, crack on you. They just don't last. Um, you just don't get uh, great use out of them. Well, it's time to make those outdoor experiences better with Canaan. Canaan sunglasses made exclusively with polarized lenses for optimal clarity, made with Japanese optics that make their lenses clearer, lighter, and stronger, and their Italian handcrafted frames that are impossible to scratch. Now use this exclusive code, Canaan, that's K-A-E-N-O-N, Canaan Cast, C-A-S-T, and the number 15 at Canaan.com. You'll receive 15% off on your first pair. That's K-A-E-N-O-N-C-A-S-T, and the number 15, and that will get you that opportunity for 15% off on your first pair of Canaan. Clearly better sunglasses. All right, we continue our conversation with uh, Dwight James, the godfather of Portland Sports Media, here on this uh, final edition of the week of our Believe in Blazers podcast. As we conduct this conversation, of course, tonight we uh, get ready for the Blazers beginning a homestand after their long road trip. The Lakers are in town, the defending world champs. LeBron James will not be playing. Anthony Davis figures to be playing. It's the first of a uh, home and home for the Blazers on back-to-back nights with San Antonio coming in tomorrow. And did you ever think that there would be such excitement over the thought of 1,900 fans in the building? But such (laughs) is the case tonight as for the first time all year, the Blazers finally become the last of the teams in the NBA to open up the doors to at least a percentage, 10% as it is, of uh, the capacity for Moda Center to be filled tonight and hopefully more once we get to the playoffs. But I would think that if 1,900 fans can make a difference and the players and coaches seem to think that it can, that we're going to have a very interesting atmosphere at Moda Center tonight for uh, the first time really all season. Well, I'm really looking forward to it, Wills. I've missed fans in that building uh, much more than I thought I would. And there's just a lot less excitement in there. I hope the 1,900 fans that are there are bringing with them uh, the spirit of the other 18,000 that really are usually in there. And and, um, they're going to have to bring it to be noticed. It's a big building. And those people are going to be separated, spread around the building. So if they want to make their presence known, they're going to have to get after it a little bit. And I know the players uh, are looking forward to it. They say it'll matter. And if the players say it will matter, it will matter. It's as simple as that. If it gives them some juice, if they're inspired a little bit, then great. And I, I would certainly like to see us move more toward uh, more fans than that. And hopefully we will. And hopefully this whole pandemic will die down. Now we have heard some rumblings. If the Blazers don't make a serious playoff run, and I guess that's a subjective uh, term as to what series actually would be. But if that doesn't happen, the Terry Stott's job as head coach could be in jeopardy. Uh, do you concur with that? Uh, yeah, I do, Wills. I, I think it's been obvious that um, there just hasn't been the kind of improvement made uh, defensively that was expected given the uh, offseason acquisitions. And, and I would also say, uh, gosh, this would be his ninth year. That's a long time to be with one franchise. There's a reason that coaches don't last that long with one team in any sport, really. You, you really have to search around to find people who've stayed that long with one team, particularly a coach who stayed that long, who's never won the big prize, never won the championship. You'll find it with a guy like Pop who've won, who's won you know, two or three titles. That's, that's one thing, or Belichick or something, where he just keeps manufacturing Super Bowl wins. But for somebody who hasn't advanced to the NBA finals to last that long in the NBA, 
that's an achievement there. And, and I think um, like any other job, I mean, nine years, people get tired of hearing me, you know, and I'm sure that players get tired of hearing coaches. When he was alive, um, Paul Allen uh, did not conduct too many press conferences, uh, maybe one, possibly two a year for the media. Uh, but basically that level of access uh, is, uh, is pretty much uh, a dominant level when you compare how things are with his sister, Jody Allen, now as owner of the team uh, in Paul's absence. And I think that becomes the greatest question in trying to figure out what the future might hold. Uh, do you have any sense since we have not heard officially from, from Jody, we, we, we hear that she's apparently still very engaged with what happens to the team that she pays attention to every game. Uh, I don't know that she's, I don't think she's been at any game, at least any home game all season long, bird cold, uh, always a prime uh, member of the hierarchy for Blazers ownership and, and an old friend of Paul's uh, was seen at a game recently sitting with president uh, Chris McGowan, but do you get any sense at all as to how committed Jody Allen is uh, in terms of continuing as Blazers owner long-term? You know, Brian, that's one thing that we have no knowledge of. I, I just don't know anything that I would think anybody has written would be pure speculation. As far as I know, she hasn't talked to anyone about it. She's not been made available to the media. I, I'm sure that's something she doesn't want to do. Um, but it's just really difficult to assess that. Uh, I, I do not think she's a big basketball fan. We didn't see evidence of that uh, before Paul died. I didn't see her at a lot of games. And, and so, you know, all I can do is say, if I owned the team wheels and I wasn't a big basketball fan, given the amount of money that these teams are worth nowadays, I would sell. And I would have to say that I, I would say that the amount, if you could get more than a billion dollars for this team, which you can, um, I would say, you know what, if I want to see a game, I'll just, you know, charter a plane, go down and see one or go to New York and see one or wherever I want to go see a game. But I can do that for a long time for a billion dollars. And um, these teams aren't going to appreciate in value much more for a while, I believe, because I think the TV money is going to drop down a little bit. And I'm not sure what this team's worth. As an investment, there's always risk involved, especially with players, I think, coming up, getting more of a share of the TV money than they've gotten previously. So that's just me. I have no inside knowledge whatsoever, but that's what I would do if I owned a team. And I'm a sports guy. But for me, the amount of money this team is worth, as opposed to the value of being the owner of the team, I would probably take the money. <laughs> That's just me. Yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense in, in, in many respects. Uh, some people think maybe she's holding out for uh, the big expansion uh, uh, surplus that would go to uh, each uh, NBA owner uh, once uh, the NBA decides to open things up to expansion. But who knows how soon that's going to be. So that may that may be a while. I don't know if anybody has an exact timetable on on that. So. Uh, she could be waiting a while if that's if that's part of why she's holding on to the team. But again, that's pure speculation, too. Yeah. And, and the thing about that, that a lot of people aren't taking into consideration, if you let a couple teams in, you have to remember now that's two more teams that are dividing up the TV money. You have to, you know, maybe not the first year that maybe you hold them away from that for a year or so. But they're eventually going to tap into the television money, which means you're going to get less of that. So 
at some point you, you have to decide uh, where you want to go with that. Uh, let me close with a couple of questions about uh, general Portland sports topics. We had Mike Baird on recently, uh, who of course is heavily involved with the group trying to bring major league baseball to Portland. You've seen a lot of efforts in that respect to make that happen during your years around here. Uh, do you give this particular group a chance to finally get this goal accomplished? I do. And I still do. Uh, this is the most well-funded, well-thought-out, well-organized group by far that we've ever had in this position. And I still believe in what they're doing, and I think they've gone about it in the right way. And the fact that we haven't heard a lot from them recently is, I think, to their credit. They're, they're not just going to float stuff out to remind people what they're doing. They're doing their work behind the scenes, and a lot of it's very sensitive work with investors, with baseball itself, with the commissioner's office. That's kind of stuff that I don't know that the commissioner wants out in the public. So I think they're doing their due diligence and they're doing their work behind the scenes. I wouldn't be surprised if there's word coming out about their ultimate choice of location for the ballpark coming pretty soon now. Um, but I think, I think they're on the right track and I do think they will bring a team to Portland. It's just a matter of when that's going to happen. Do you get any sense as to whether it would be a exist, an existing club moving here or uh, an expansion team? Well, I would sure hope for an existing team, but the commissioner seems against that. He seems against moving. He seems dedicated to getting new ballparks in Oakland and Tampa Bay, which I think is looking still like an impossibility given the economy everywhere. I, I just don't see any point in that when you have towns ready to take those teams. And quite frankly, Oakland and Tampa won't miss those franchises. They've done nothing in the last several years to indicate they want to keep those franchises. So I, I'm all in favor of moving them. Are you amazed though, that here we are in 2021 and Portland still has only one team among the four major professional sports. It's crazy, Brian. It's crazy because this is a sleeping giant in terms of supporting major league sports. And it's incredible, uh, but it speaks to the city also. It's a city that's never really reached out, never really seen it as important. We don't seem to have a lot of uh, billionaires in town who are either interested or able to pull this off. And so this is what you get. And it's the town we chose to live in, but it's not necessarily a town that sees sports as very important. And along those lines, uh, obviously, I have not been here as long as you have, but the one thing I've noticed that seems like a common denominator in uh, cities where uh, stadiums, arenas, ballparks get built, teams get acquired or, or secured if they're already there, it seems like the one common denominator is to have one key high-level politician that believes in sports, believes in the value of sports, and does something that maybe, I, I think sports is an intrinsic value. It doesn't always pencil out in terms of the precise numbers that you would you would say, you know, for us to, to put funds into this uh, particular uh, subject, it needs to, it needs to, it needs to really uh, pencil out the right way in terms of the numbers. I don't know if sports always uh, fits in, in that particular realm, but we know that the other intrinsic value that it has of, of uh, making a city more popular than it might be otherwise, uh, bringing tourists to town, uh, giving people just socially more things to do, artistically more things to do. Uh, there's lots of things that, that it's pretty hard to put a price tag on, but it just seems like you have to have some kind of high-level politician that believes in that 
and does a lot of work behind the scenes to make sports uh, a priority. And I just don't know that that Portland or even Oregon has really had uh, any kind of high level politician that kind of fits that mold. No, we haven't. And that's been unfortunate. We have not had the civic leadership that's needed in these kinds of situations. Uh, the one thing I'd also say to Wheels, the further we get away from 1977, winning the NBA title, the further we get away from that, the fewer people live through what that was like in the city of Portland. The fewer people that understand what that championship did for this city. It was crazy. There was so much civic pride that united an entire city. It was amazing. And it sparked all kinds of things within the city in terms of growth and pride and, and just everybody in Portland feeling good about itself, about themselves. And man, could we ever use that now? I mean, I, I just think those are, uh, there are very few things that can do that. What can you say other than that that could bring this city together right now. I, I don't think politicians can manage to do it. And, and I think sports can, we've seen it. Um, what was, go it's been magic here. That's carried over all this time since 77. I mean, it's amazing how long that high has lasted with the Blazers being champions of the world. And uh, we need that again. And we need more sports so that we have more opportunities to share in that sort of feeling. And, and I think um, one of the, you know, I'm surprised the NHL didn't come here. I'm shocked that Seattle got a hockey team before Portland. And I'll tell you why this isn't gonna play well in Seattle. Portland's a better hockey town than Seattle. Always has been, always will be. It's a better hockey town. There's more hockey fans here, uh, whether you're talking about the Buckaroos in the old WHL or you're talking about the Winterhawks, successful franchises that have always made money, have always done well. And it's a shame that we don't have an NHL team as well as a Major League Baseball team. And we could have had NFL decades ago, but we couldn't get a Dome Stadium passed. I'll leave you with this. As we said earlier, uh, you've achieved a lot in your professional life displaying many talents along the way. Is there any bucket list item that you'd still like to conquer to make your career even more complete? Uh, well, there's one, you know, when I was at the Oregonian writing columns, Brian, I had an opportunity to do pretty much anything in the sports world. I, I kind of got to pick my things. I went to probably eight or nine world series. I think I went to nine super bowls. I covered final fours. I covered an Olympics. I covered all these things. I never covered the masters. Now I'm playing more golf than I ever did before. I went years, decades without playing golf. I'm playing now. I, I really missed out when I didn't go cover the Masters. And I think that's something that I'm going to figure out a way to do along with my, my wife. We're going we're gonna to figure out a way to get to the Masters one of these years. That, that, that's a worthwhile uh, goal and certainly nothing that uh, can't be accomplished, I wouldn't think. Any books that uh, you have in, in mind that you might like to write at some point? <laughs> Uh, I've got one kind of in the works right now with somebody and, and I've always been told by experienced authors, it's bad luck to talk about them until okay. you're done. Uh, I would like to do a fiction book someday, Brian. I've got a whole fiction book in my head that I've just never put down on paper. I'd love to do that. But to tell you the truth, when I stop doing this, I'll want to do radio. I'll want to do TV. Writing's probably the last one of those things I'll want to do because it's, it's more tedious, it's more difficult, I think. 
uh, anybody can just talk. Uh, to write, you, it takes a little bit more thought. Now, if you read my stuff, sometimes you think, well, not a lot of thought went into that one. But anyway, it I will say it does take some thought. All right. So besides uh, seeing you uh, often, and, uh, and and it's always great entertainment and information on NBC Sports Northwest, I tell everybody how they can uh, follow you on, on Twitter. Oh, just at Dwight Janes, and it's J-A-Y-N-E-S. Um, on Twitter, and there I am. There you are, and uh, there you have been. I uh, appreciate your time today. Uh, we could probably spend a lot more time discussing uh, your vast knowledge and your vast memories and so forth. We'll, uh, we should do a, a luncheon circuit maybe sometime and just uh, take, uh, take the act to a few different restaurants and uh, make, a, make a day out of it or an evening, uh, you know, evening show or something, and uh, I think it would be great entertainment that I'm sure would uh, be a hot ticket to be able to uh, put together something like that. So, so that's something else we'll have to put the, besides the Godfather merchandise, we're going to have to put uh, some, uh, some clever heads behind something like that in the future. I'll be the host. We'll just lead you in a bunch of things and you can sign autographs for an hour or two afterwards. So, uh, <laughs> so it'd be, it'd be a big hit, I'm sure. And something that once we get back to socializing anything close to the way we used to, uh, we can, we can pursue that idea as well. You know, Brian, that sounds like it'd be a lot of fun. And uh, I, I will say this once I'm retired, Anything like that where I could bank a buck or two, I'm all in. You know, <laughs> when that faucet shuts off, and that you know, there's just going to be other little retirement sources floating in. But I like nice vacations and nice cars. Sure, and sure. So I'm going to need a little extra money along the way. So yeah, if you can pitch in and help on that, I'll help you too. And we'll we'll work something out. Maybe we'll just be the next Abbott and Costello or something. I'll do my part. I'll do my part. It's the least I can do for the friendship you've shown me over the years, but uh, <laughs> thank you for the time today. Thanks for your friendship as always. And uh, we look forward to uh, hopefully seeing you out at uh, Moda center or someplace around town here very, very soon. That'd be great, Brian. Thank you. That's the Godfather Dwight James on this edition of the believe in blazers podcast. That takes us through the weekend on Monday. We'll have another very special guest. The, voice of Moda Center, Mark Mason will be with us, and he'll be able to tell us what it was like to have fans in the building for a couple of games tonight against the Lakers, tomorrow against the Spurs. We'll recap those two games as well. And coming up on Wednesday of next week, Brooke Olsendam, as we kind of, uh, you know, spruce things up a bit uh, with a bunch of guys we've had recently. But Brooke Olsendam, of course, the uh, host, pre and post uh, game and halftime of uh, Blazers Television and sideline reporter as well. She'll be with us on Wednesday's show. So we got some great shows coming up. Hopefully you'll join us for those. Uh, we are brought to you in part by Bet Online, and I'm Brian Wheeler. Have a terrific weekend. We'll talk Blazers basketball as we get into the final week of the regular season with our next podcast on Monday. Thanks again to Dwight. Thanks to all of you for listening, and we have uh, our next show on Monday. Until then, have a great weekend. So long, everybody. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.